You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. What I need to do is open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 32 because it's here that we continue our series, The Gift of Desperation. And it is true that, that not until we, we get to the edge um, that we find grace in our own despair. And it's in that grace of Jesus that we come to the end of our pride, the end of our anxiety, uh, the end of being controlled by uncertainty and remaining slaves to fear. It's in that great and wonderful grace that we find God's freedom. And that's what I really pray for and have been praying for in this series, that we ask, we seek, and we knock for that freedom. And oftentimes we know this, to get to that freedom, to get to the other side, you go through those times of desperation. We experience desperation in our lives, but we know that God's grace is there. It's in the the place of great grace that we realize that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. That's where I realize God's grace. There's something to note in both the Old and New Testament that desperation always precedes deliverance. Desperation always precedes deliverance. So here's what that tells me, that we want deliverance. We really do. We pray for that. We want blessing from God, but it's without having to be desperate. (laughs) And uh, that's not the formula. That's not how the formula works. It's desperation first, then blessing and deliverance that follows. So if you're praying for that blessing, if you're praying for that deliverance, there is going to be a season of desperation where we come to the end of ourselves and we say, God, we need you. We are in desperate need of you. In other words, it's humbling ourselves. It's recognizing our need, and then it's uh, God responding with help. That's how that works. It's a simple formula. It works, again, in all the Bible, all through the Bible. In our lives today, that is the way it works. The phrase in both the Old and New Testament used by desperate people And I did a little study on this and thought, well, this is interesting. When people are desperate, what do they do? What do you do when you're desperate? I mean, when you're really, really desperate. Well, the thing that comes with desperation is this phrase, crying out. I mean, every time you see in the Bible uh, a, a person or a people that are desperate, you'll always find that phrase, crying out. Crying out, crying out to God. That's what desperate people do. And you see that, first of all, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. It's the children of Israel. It says that they longed, that there was a long period the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery, and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. The same holds true today. God leans into desperate people. He leans in to people who were crying out. And if it's just us that we think are crying out, you have to know that our Lord cried out as well. That Jesus cried out in his most desperate moment in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Eli, Eli, leme shabachnia, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, there's no one else on this planet who's drawing breath that had been forsaken by God. And you want to talk about desperation. That's desperation. And so what I understand here is that Jesus became desperate for us. His desperation rescued you. Because on the other side of the desperation of Jesus Christ was resurrection. 
You see, his own life shows it. It portrays that for us. So the phrase crying out, I don't know if you, you put this together, if you're into grammar or English, but it's an onomopoeia. That's what it is. And what it means is simple. For instance, when we write the word for a dog barking, what do you write? You write wolf. So an onotopia is something that actually is described more by sound. That's the definition. The def- definition is a sound. A frog does what? A frog croaks. A lion roars. So here what's happening is this is the way it's staged in Scripture. It's a word that gets its meaning for how it sounds. So you know that when someone is crying out in desperation, it just sounds different. I mean, when a heart is desperate, when a heart has come to the end of itself, there's this cry that goes down into the guts of the person, and you can hear it. It's a crying out. It goes deep. In fact, I I don't know if you are aware of this. The word compassion, literally translated in Hebrew, means guts. (laughs) That when Jesus came and showed us the love of God, what was happening? The guts of God became flesh. Jesus cried out. When people cry out, there's just something different. This phrase is reserved for a specific kind of crying out. It's reserved for the desperate. You know, as a church, we want to be be so dependent upon God that we cry out to Him. We want to rely on Him, so we cry out to Him. Um, I've been watching, you've been watching the news, especially with the firestorms, just ravage communities and regions over this summer. And it was just, uh, it was just horrible to watch. You might have even been related to or know people who lived through that. And I thought one of the things that caught my attention, somebody protecting their house in this huge firestorm with a garden hose. And, and I thought to myself, now, 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 now that, I don't know how far you're going to get putting off a firestorm with a garden hose. You, you see, until we become desperate and we cry out to God, it, it, it's like putting out a fire with a fire hose. You, it doesn't work. You come to the place where you try to manage, where you try to control, where you try to get the outcomes you want, and it doesn't work. It doesn't happen that way. It's only when you come to this place of desperation and you cry out. You know, we've been looking at examples of desperate people in Scripture, and we're, we're going to look at another one today from Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to see what happens in the life of Jacob. And Jacob is one of, my, uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. It's the story about Jacob in a wrestling match with an angel of the Lord. And to appreciate the wrestling match, we, we need to have some context. So let me give you a little context for this, this wrestling match that's going to take place in Genesis 32. I want to just take a few minutes catch you up on Jacob's life. Well, the first thing that you need to know about Jacob, the very first thing, is Jacob is not a wrestler. That's the first thing you need to know. But yet in 32, chapter 32 of Genesis, he, he's in a wrestling match, not just any old wrestling match, but a wrestling match with God. Now, Jacob was not a fighter. What Jacob did when he faced conflict is he ran. That was how Jacob managed conflict in his life. That's how he managed hard times. He ran. Jacob doesn't fight. Jacob flees. And here's what happens. I, Isaac and, and Rebekah... 
are uh, Jacob's parents. They have twin boys, Jacob and his older brother Esau. Esau is uh, only just a few minutes older than Jacob. And in fact, in the scripture, it says as Esau was being born, Jacob was grabbing a hold of his heel. Now, that's meaningful as his life continues to unfold for us because what he's wanting is he's wanting what his brother is going to get. And that's the blessing. He, he's wanting certain things. And even at birth, you see, he's holding on to the heel of Esau. Esau is the, is the older brother. He has the blessing. He has the inheritance. He has the birthright. So Jacob misses it just by minutes. And Jacob and Esau were, were very different. They were polar opposites. This is what it says in the scripture in Genesis 25, 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Do you see the difference between these two? So what do you have? You have Esau. He's the outdoors guy. He's the man's man. Uh, He's the hairy guy, you know, and he just probably has a deeper voice. And he's just one of those tough guys that love to be outside, that love to hunt. And Jacob, what he was content to do was just stay inside. Uh, the message version says that he was mama's boy. I, I'm just kidding. He was a mama's boy, but that's what it's really saying here. So what, what we see here is Isaac, the father, loved Esau, and Rebekah loved Jacob. So you get the picture here. Jacob was this passive, aggressive guy. Uh, he's a manipulator. Uh, the name Jacob meant deceiver, conniver, sur sur surplanter. Jacob grows up hearing the stories of how God blessed his, his grandfather Isaac, or Abraham, how he blessed his father Isaac, and then now his brother Esau is going to receive a blessing. So he's hearing all these stories because oral tradition was what you did, and you just told these stories, you repeated these stories, you talked about all the time that your grandfather and your father and your brother are blessed, and you're left out of the story. You're, you're not in the story. It's, it's, it's not, you're not mentioned here. And so he's left out of this, but Jacob wants the blessing for himself. And so what does he do? He, he plans to cheat his, his brother Esau. And what he does is he, he uh, with his mother, he, he gets some goat's hair and they put it on his, because Isaac can't see very well. And he comes to get the birthright. He comes to get blessed, but he tricks his father into believing it's Esau. This guy just gets in more and more trouble. He does it, and at this point, it, it's, it's pretty successful in verse 27, or chapter 27, 35 through 36. But he said, and this is Isaac, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing, Esau. That's what happened. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? <laughs> this is the second time he has taken advantage of me. This is Esau speaking. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? You see, he's just looking in every way he possibly can to take from his brother. He wants this so bad, he cheats. And so Jacob knows his brother isn't going to sit back. Remember, he's the outdoors guy. I mean, he's the guy that takes things in, into his own hands. He takes charge. He's not going to sit back. He's not going to let this happen. So what does Jacob do? 
Jacob does what Jacob does when he's faced with conflict. He doesn't confront. He doesn't have a conversation. He doesn't sit down with Esau. He runs away. That's what he does. He runs away, and he ends up living with his uncle Laban, and he falls in love with Laban's, uh, Laban's daughter, Rachel. And I love the story. He falls in love with her. And, uh, and, and, and this is how he can earn her for a wife is, is Laban says, you've got to work seven years until you get to have her. It's seven years, buddy. And he did. Jacob did. And the thing about Jacob is he was successful. Everything he put his hands to, it prospered. Goats and cows and camels, everything. And he, he works for Laban. Now you can see what's happening with Laban. Laban's glad he entered this deal because he's profiting off his uh, future son-in-law. That's what's happening here. He doesn't want this blessing to go away. He doesn't want this prosperity to go away. So what does he do? Um, what he does is he takes his other daughter, Leah, on their wedding night, and, uh, and, and, and Jacob sleeps with her. How all that happened, I don't know. I would imagine a little alcohol is involved. If he didn't know that that is actually Rachel, instead it, it's, it's Leah. The Bible just, you know what the Bible says? It says, and in the morning, there was Leah. <laughs> well, in the morning, there was uh, Leah. So here's what happens. For about 20 years, Jacob works for Laban, and he becomes wealthy because he worked another seven years actually to get Rachel. So he, he's with Laban. Here's the amazing thing. Do you know this? When you're, um, when you're someone like Jacob or whatever personality you have and you need those rough edges knocked off, do you know who God usually sticks you with? It's someone like you. Someone like you. Laban was just like Jacob. Laban was tricking and, you know, treating and doing all kind of stuff to get what he wanted. And so Jacob kind of meets his match. And again, Jacob works a scheme to cheat Laban. And when he realizes that it's going to catch up with him, what does he do? Does he stay? Does he have a conversation? No. He does what he does. He runs away. He just doesn't want to face this. He's thinking, I'm getting out of here. I do not want to face this. And what happens is Laban chases Jacob. But God says to Laban, you cannot hurt him. You cannot harm him physically. And so here's what happens. Jacob answered Laban, I was what? (laughs) Here it is. I was afraid. I was scared to death. I was terrified. And when I get terrified and when I get scared to death, I run away. Because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. So I'm getting out of Dodge. I'm taking off because I am desperately afraid. And that's what it says here. He doesn't fight for things. He doesn't stand up for things. He doesn't take a hold of things. He runs away. He continues to run away. And I know this. I know this can be a cycle for a lot of us. Maybe something you're confronting right now, and you're just thinking, man, everything in you is saying, run, run for the hills. Stay away from this. Conflict is is too stressful. And we find ourselves in those kind of cycles. Uh, Psychologists today call it, you know, it's fight or flight or freeze, you know. Uh, but, But here, Jacob is a flighter. He's taken off. He's not a fighter. And he continues to repeat this cycle 
for years and years and years. I was reading this and thinking, you know, how much time in my life have I spent maybe avoiding? How much time in my life have I spent trying to hide? And that cycle continues to go round and round. Now, Jacob is, is back. He's backed into a corner. Uh, he can't go back toward Laban's land. He, he can't do that. So he heads toward Esau's land. He's stuck. Know this, that God gets you somewhere along the line. He's going to set you up for something here. So what's happening? Laban's behind him. Esau's in front of him. He's being put in this uh, relational vice. He's finding himself like, I, I, I can't run. He's, I mean, I'm backed into a corner. What am I going to do? And, and so Jacob sends some messengers to Esau, hoping to smooth things out. He says, hey, go, go man, give this guy gifts, because a bunch of gifts. His best smoozers is probably who he sent, you know, those guys that were really good with words. Hey, you go, you talk to him, and you get me off the hook, because I can't face this. I don't want to deal with this. And so this is exactly what happens. He sends his uh, ambassadors, and, and they return. And I like what they say when they return in verse 32, or Genesis 32, 6 and 7. It says, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to you. Aren't you happy? I mean, he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Now, this doesn't sound like a kind delegation, does it to you? I mean, it doesn't. In, in, in great, here it is, in great fear... Afraid, terrified, and distressed, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. Do you know what he's doing here? He's setting himself up again. He's devising a plan to get himself off the hook. What he's wanting to do is he's going to divide everything into two groups. He stays back in camp, and he's going to find out where is Esau going to attack. If he attacks that group, I'm going with that one. If he attacks that one, I'm going with that one. You see, he was looking, he was waiting to see how this was going to unfold. He was waiting to see how he was going to save his own skin. That's what he's doing. And Jacob stays by himself. And here's here's what you need to get a hold of. He stays by himself back in camp. And it's there that he wrestles with an angel of the Lord. Now, Now, so many, almost all Old Testament scholars say when you... Um, encounter an angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it is actually the, uh, it is the, it's part of the triune God. It's Jesus. And that Jesus shows up in the flesh. And so he's going to go nose to nose here. He's going nose to nose with the angel of the Lord that we see in Scripture to be Jesus. And then verses 24 through 29 Say, so Jacob was left alone, and, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched him. That word touched right there, by the way, that word touched is not a hard touch. It's a soft touch. See, when the angel of the Lord just touched you, he didn't have to touch you very hard because he could kill you. <laughs> so I love that. I read that word touch just means he just touched him, just touched his hip. He just touches his hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. 
But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. From what we know, this is the first time in his life that he's actually fighting. This is the first time that he's turned into a fighter and not a flighter. The man asked him, what is your name? He said, Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Your name is Israel. How many know when you encounter God, your name just gets changed? Maybe not obvious to everyone else, but once God touches your life, once you've encountered God, once you've wrestled with God, there's something that happens internally. There's something that happens in our character. There's something that happens in who we are, and, and his name is changed because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? And then he blessed him there. Do you see what happened? You know, there are going to be times in our life that we're going to be asked to go nose to nose with Jesus. And that's what happens in this story. Jacob wrestles with Jesus. And what happens? He comes out blessed. He comes out blessed. And know this, when you wrestle with Jesus, you'll come out blessed, but you'll also come out with something else. Uh, you'll come out with a limp says in scripture that Jacob limped the rest of his life. It was his everyday reminder that Jesus had touched him. It was his everyday reminder that there was someone much stronger than he was, someone that he could depend on, someone that he could trust because he wrestled with him. And his life was touched not only inside, but his life was touched on the outside. And he limps the rest of his life. So let me, let me say this. I think there are a few things to consider when we talk about Jacob wrestling with God, and I think the first thing that we look at here, Jacob wrestles with God, number one, when he is desperate and alone. See, what happens here, uh, when he's living in his wealth, there there's really is, there, there's not that confrontation, there's not that wrestling match. He looked for all the ways out, but now he doesn't have a way out. He is, he is desperate and alone. He's been running from God for a while, and now there's nowhere to run. Does that sound familiar? I mean, to maybe to some of us, that we're running and we're running and we're running. We have nowhere to go. We're desperate and we're alone. It says in verse 24 of chapter 32, he was all alone. Now, here's what I kind of figured about this, and, and maybe you would confirm it. You can see it in Scripture, at least evidence of it. And here's my guess that Jacob didn't do all alone very well or very often. He didn't. I mean, think about, think about what he had. I mean, think about the, 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 the cattle and everything that he had to manage. We're, we're talking a, a huge enterprise. He has an absolutely huge enterprise. And not only does he have a huge enterprise going, he has a huge family. And my thought is he doesn't do alone very well or very often. And we pretty much know... Uh, that he was a workaholic. We see that. I mean, I mean, why, why did he stick around so long with Laban for 20 years? It's because he was prospering. It was because he was prospering. And I think he wanted the ladies in his life, but I think this is what was happening. He was actually making some, some bucks, and he wanted to do that. He kept doing that. He, he was pretty much an, a workaholic. He grew up trying to prove himself as a younger brother, wanting the blessing of his father, and he didn't get it. Esau got it. He's the younger brother. 
He's going to spend his life trying to earn that blessing, trying to prove himself to his father, trying to prove his father wrong. All of this is going on in Jacob's life. You know, I think a lot, a lot of us guys handle our desperation this way. I mean, what do we do? Just go out and just work, man. Just work, work, work. At least, at least you know, money comes out of it or something happens. At least it looks like we're providing. It looks like we're doing well. But all the while, inside, there's just a, there's a loneliness. You know, I've, I've talked to a few guys o- over the years, and um, especially when I went through my brokenness. Um, one of my friends said to me, he just sat down, he had tears in his eyes. He goes, you know what you're doing to me, don't you? I mean, he wasn't really that happy. But he said this. He goes, you know what you're doing to me? He said, you're making me look at myself. And I can hardly bear it. It is so painful. It is so painful. I don't think I can do it. And I'll tell you, when you you are taking a close look, the only place that that can happen is when you're one-on-one with God. It's when he does isolate you. But I tell you, to walk that journey out once you've been with him, you can't do it alone. You've got to have folks around you that are going to confirm the fact that you limp, <laughs> that you've been with God, that you limp, and that you, you, need, you need the help of others. And I think this is what Jacob is, is, is sorting out. I think this is what Jacob is really trying to, to figure out. Working hard was where Jacob found his value. It's where he found his worth. It's where he, 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 he found gratification. Never by himself. Plenty of family. Plenty of, of work. Always something to do. Always something to do. Always. Just kept his, his mind busy. Kept his head busy so he didn't have to think about his relationship with God. He didn't have to think about his character. He didn't have to think about those broken places. He didn't have to do that if he kept things going. If he kept the plate spinning, he didn't have to do it. And God says, time is up. Don't, you're not going to spend plates anymore. And how much we dive into the noise of life. Have you, you know, thought about that in your own life? I, I have. How you dive into the noise of life. How if it's just quiet, it drives you crazy. Uh, they just had a news special on the other night about the addiction of devices. And when it's quiet, it literally you can see these kids almost losing their marbles because it's just, it's just too quiet. So they did a study, and this is what they came up with, just little, a little snippet of the study. Do you know how many times a day, on average, we check our phone, our cell phone? This is an average. 221 times a day. Average. Now, get it. You're throwing in a 65-year-old with a 15-year-old. And so, you know, that might be a little different if you just separate the two. But when you put it all together, it's 221 times. What is that? It's just a f- we, we want to be affirmed. We wanna, there's a noise. There's something that, that we want to keep spinning. All alone is not something most of us do very well. You know, we, we surround ourselves with noise and business and all kinds of things. 
if we, we sit still long enough, and here's the instruction, here's what you pull out of this story. If you sit still long enough, you might find Jesus will tackle you. If you sit still and make some space, you might get tackled by Jesus. And, and, and then there might be a wrestling match. And then what comes after that? Blessing. What comes after that is blessing, that you absolutely be changed. And here's the second thing I want you to notice about this. Jacob wrestles with God when he has nowhere else to run, nowhere else to turn, no, no one else to go to. That's what happens. Desperation usually sets in when we run out of options, when there are no more options. And the common denominator for many people who turn to God is that they have nowhere else to turn. Would you say that? I've been there. It's like, you know, if I have options, <laughs> I like that. But when there's nowhere else to turn, nowhere else to run, that's when we say, God, you know, I'm coming to you now. I'm coming to you now. And God doesn't mind that, by the way. And that's not hypocritical. I think a lot of it's just human nature. Sin nature is we'll just, we'll just play out the options. But what God says is he says, I want you to come and face me. I want you to come and look at me. You know, I, I hear this often that there's nowhere else for me to turn. I'm desperate. I, I hear that often in church, you know, and I've experienced that myself. And uh, this time, Jacob doesn't run. He doesn't run from the angel of the Lord. He doesn't run from his brother. He fights through the darkness until he gets the blessing. He fights through until he gets a blessing. I just think, I just have this sense that some of you are right there in the middle of what appears to be dark and you're just wanting to throw in the towel. Don't throw in the towel because it's in that darkness, it's fighting through that darkness that the daylight comes, that, 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 that the sun of glory is there, that Jesus is there. He's right there. And, he, and we have to fight through that. And we'll be asked to do that in order to get the blessing. In order to have the blessing. And here's the last thing. Jacob wrestles with God because he wants God's blessing. He realizes in the middle of this fight, wow, this is big. I didn't know how big this is. I, didn't, I, I was kind of going to my dad and looking for affirmation and I was trying to steal from my brother and my and I thought that was the way that was the way you get blessed you go after it and you get it on your own no one else is going to get it for you you do it yourself you grab a hold of it and here in the middle of this battle this wrestling match with an angel he goes that isn't the way all the other things I've been doing to bless myself isn't how blessing really happens blessing happens when you wrestle with God and you come to that place and you realize that blessing's huge. Because that blessing isn't only about you. That blessing is about your inheritance and your children and your children's children. And somewhere in this wrestling match, I can't help but believe somewhere Jacob realizes, wow, this isn't about me. <laughs> this is about the generations to come, which will be called the tribes of Israel. which will make a difference in the world. And he stayed with it, and he said, I want this blessing. I'm not going to let you go, God. 
I'm not going to let you go. Notice before this wrestling match, everywhere you see Jacob referring to God, he doesn't refer to God in a personal, intimate way. His, this is how he refers to God. He said, the God of my fathers. That's how he refers to God. He says, yeah, it's, you know, and you, church, we do, oh, yeah, my parents, geez, yeah, the, the church of my parents, the God of my parents, the God of my grandparents. Jacob was doing the same thing. Ah, the, you know, the God of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. That's the God. Then he wrestles with God, and now he has an intimate relationship. He says, you are my God. You are my Lord. I wrestle with you. And his name gets changed in verses 27 and 28 from Jacob to Israel. And here's what God is asking us to do. And we'll just put a bottom line to this. He's asking us to contend to fight for blessings wherever that might be. And there are dark times. You know, and I, I think it's... I think it's probably really, really personal and painful when... There are people you love and you're fighting for them. You know, and sometimes they might not even fight for themselves. But you keep fighting for that child, that, that teenager, that, that marriage, that whatever. You keep fighting and it's dark. But God says when you do that, there is blessing. That you will contend for that blessing. Many of you know, several years ago, we really, we've been really open about contending for our kids and, and for your kids and how much they mean, and that's what we do. Um, but especially, there was a season we just really contended for our daughter. Uh, she was lost. We didn't know, literally did not know where she was. Um, she was lost. And there were some really, really, really dark times for Amanda. And we just kept fighting and kept contending and kept fighting and contending. And, uh, and then she comes back, you know, on God's timeline, by the way. And there's a repentance that happens. And I remember just looking at me. She looked at me and she said, Daddy, I just feel like I need to rededicate my life. I, I feel like I need to get baptized. And so on an Easter a few years ago, uh, that's what we did. And I've never showed this publicly, but... George, would you throw that picture to us? It's worth it. It's worth it. Keep fighting. Keep contending for the blessing that God has for you, but the blessing that will go into the generations. 
keep fighting, keep contending, go face to face with Jesus. It makes all the difference. And would you say amen to that? Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.